uh, God, uh, Lord, this time is in vain if it's not of you. And uh, so, Father, um, all the efforts, Father, um, Father, everything that's been sung to this point, Father, the story of your redemptive love, your mercy, your grace that has been woven through the worship set. Um, Father, right now, I, I pray that you would magnify the preaching of your word. Um, Father, that you would put a preacher aside, that you would put, um, Father, the car ride in or what is to come after church. Father, that Holy Spirit, would you allow us this space to, to be fixated on you? Um, and would you speak? Um, we love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Last night, Ava was like, hey, let's have a date night. Let's go out to dinner. Uh, and I was like, okay, cool, Saturday night. So we'll be talking, and I'll be thinking about the sermon. Uh, so uh, we went out uh, to dinner, and we were talking. We were hanging out and whatnot. And I was thinking about this sermon. I, I wanted to draw our attention to this term, uh, poster, poster child. And I was looking over at my wife while I was kind of like in the conversation, if you will. I was like, I have married... Uh, the poster child of uh, the basic white girl. Uh, have you uh, ever heard that, that term, uh, basic white girl? Uh, and so I mentioned that to Ava, got permission to share that this morning. She's like, oh yeah, I rock the basic white girl. Uh, she's like, you need me to wear a jacket? I'll wear my Carhartt hat. And I was like, uh, all right, I didn't know those things were on the agenda, on the uh, resume to be a basic white girl. But that just means that like, hey, that's the type of person that will go to Target and get some Starbucks. But they don't go with a to buy list. They go and they walk around Target and let Johanna Gaines or Target uh, tell you what you need to get. Uh, and so, yeah, we got a few Ava's people are in the room. Uh, and I was like, man, like you are the poster child of this term, basic white girl. Do you know where the term poster child came from? It's not a new term, but it's a term that we use oftentimes. You'll say, hey, you're the poster child of and then insert something good or bad. It was back in like the 30s and 40s. It's when the, the medical field would take a picture of, of a kid that was sick uh, and use, uh, put it on a poster and use that to raise funds. <laughs> kind of weird. Uh, but that's where the term uh, came up, and that's where we understand, hey, poster child. Po you're the poster child of a said thing. As we look at God's word today, what would it look like for you and I to be the poster children, or God's children, the poster children of God's love, to embody that, to, to live that out. Well, if you and I want to be the poster children of God's love, it's hard to be the poster child of God's love if we're avoiding segments of society. Uh, you know, two terms, like you can't be the poster child of isolation and the poster child of love. Those two terms don't go, aren't synonymous with one another. Another aspect that we have to think about, if you and I do walk into this room with a, with a level of desire to be the poster children of love as our God is love, you know what that means? Is we have to understand love the way God understands love, defines love. Because you might be the poster child of love outside of this place, out in the word, world, in your workplace. They might look at you as the poster child of love because of all the ways the world defines love. But in here, if the definition of love is different according to God Almighty, you could be the poster child of love out there, but not in here. And so we need, what I want to do today is understand how Jesus defines love how he describes it, and how when we huddle up, when we're together, when, we're go when we go out to run the play, are we the poster child in here and out there as Jesus defines it? And so we're talking about love. Pretty basic, right? 
And so we're going to rattle off some terms. And as we're doing this, as we're talking kind of like a basic nature of love, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I beg of you. Would you gravitate towards one or two things that you're saying, man, I'm the poster child in these areas, but this one I'm not. And I want to go and I want to do something about it. The greatest sermon ever preached was by Jesus. It's a Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You know how he ends that passage, uh, how he ends his sermon? Here's what he says at the very, towards the very end. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Another translation will say, puts them into practice. And so Jesus in that sermon said a whole bunch of seemingly basic thing for you and I as we look back on it. And he said the, the, the power of what he just preached is that you and I would go and do something about it. Because to know what to do and not do it is not a form of love, it's a form of And so today we're going to dissect love. And I beg of you, as I say basic things, that you and I would wrestle with, what do I need to change about my life to be the poster child of love out of this place? So we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. Uh, You guys can turn there in your Bibles. It's in the kind of the middle of the New Testament. Go past the the Gospels, past Acts and and whatnot, and and you'll get there. Or you can just Google uh, Romans 12 ESV, uh, and we're going to pick it up in verse 9. Here's what it says in verse 9. This is the words of Paul writing. You want to talk about a prodigal? Paul was a prodigal. Uh, He was somebody running from God and came back to God, and God had open arms for him, and and Paul wrote a a great majority of the New Testament. Uh, And so so here's what Paul says in, in, uh, chapter, in verse 9. Let love be genuine. So you know what that means right from the start. That means there's genuine love and there's not so disingenuous love. Here's how we would define uh, genuine. Genuine is, is defined like, like this. Truly what something is said to be authentic. That means there is, there is real love and there is fake love. There is actual love and there is a lie. That is, hey, I understand the truth of the gospel, and now I'm embodying it. Love and truth go hand in hand. And this is how we should see the gospel working itself out in everyday life. You understand that a magnificent, majestic love of the Savior for you and I, and because we get it and we know that truth, that we go out and we love other people. And so our big thought for this this time is not necessarily earth shattering, but it's so hard to live out that genuine love, our genuine love for each other, our genuine love for the, the world outside of here proves our genuine faith. If we are a genuinely saved person, we've understood Jesus Christ and what he did for us in light of our sin, then we will prove that faith as we go out and we love other people. And so Paul goes on to show us seven different areas of what it means to be a loving person. I'm going to rattle them off. I'll give you a quick little illustration of what that looks like in everyday life. And what I want you to do is pick two of the seven to say, I want to work on two of these aspects. So pull out your phone, take a note, whatever it might be, but pick two of them as I am rattling them off. The first one is that if you're going to be a loving person, as a person of faith, that you're going to be all about genuine good. He says this, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. That you can hate evil. That you can hate Satan. That's a conversation I was having in my house this week. Is Where is it okay to hate? Well, there's you can hate evil and you can hate, hate Satan, the father of lives. That means that love actually is a discerning thing. That love discerns good. Love discerns what is evil. Love actually hates something and it hates 
What is evil? Thank you. I'll take it. Uh, perfect. Thank you so much. So awkward, I know, Ashley, but here we are. And uh, <laughs> love is discerning. That means if, you, if you're all about genuine good, that means that, man, if there's some sort of evil in your house, that your love for your house means that you're not going to let that evil persist. That you're going to guide your family, your loved ones, towards clinging to what is good. And so if you want to be a loving person, you have to be able to discern what is good and what is not so good. So in my house, here's how it played out. Because I think as Christians, sometimes we get this really, really wrong in how we live it out. We're supposed to hate evil. And so we go out there with our signs talking about all the evil that we hate. So I think both sin, abhorring evil, and the gospel, how we know love, I think both of those things are always in play. So let me give you an example of how we treat it a little bit differently, although we keep them both in play. The other day, my boys came home and said, on the bus, we had a substitute bus driver. It sounds awful to be a bus driver of middle school boys. It sounds really awful to be a substitute bus driver of middle school boys. Would anybody here want that job? And so my boys were talking about how they were kind of bullying the bus driver. Some of the antics that were going on towards the bus driver. And they were saying names of certain kids. I was like, well, you're, that's like your best friend. He lives down the street. Like, what, what, what? Okay, what were you doing? Did you participate? And if they had said yes, we would have had a big old conversation. My kids who believe in Jesus, I would have reminded them of their love for Jesus and then I would have called out their sin and said, that has to change now. Now, when those other boys come over to my house, am I going to have the same type of a conversation? They don't know Jesus. So I could tell them, hey, you suck. You shouldn't live like that. <laughs> and, and at the end of the day, you know what? The bus is going to be a great place. It's going to be such a nice place to, but is that a win? See, outside, so this is, if this is inside, Outside, all I'm doing is acknowledging, hey, hey, what you were doing on the bus, like, dude, that's kind of messed up, right? Yeah, that's kind of messed up. Okay, cool. Let's talk about Jesus and love. <laughs> Let's talk about how Jesus and his love speaks into that brokenness that you just showed. <laughs> and so both of these are in play at all times because you can't share the goodness of the gospel message without sharing what makes it good, <laughs> And so, yes, Christians in this room, the people of God, abhor what is evil. And when it comes to you and I, man, you're a person of faith. Let's talk about how to live out the gospel. <laughs> Let's talk about how to love your, in your relationship. Let's talk about those things. But if you come in here and you know nothing about Jesus and you all smell like pot smoking Joe, cool, great. Let's talk about how to live out the gospel in everyday life. Does that make sense of how we can go about genuine good? The second thing that Paul addresses is then genuine humility. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Why do I say humility? Because it's a, it's a humble thing to put somebody else above yourself. To put their needs before your needs. 
to honor people and, and outdo one another in showing uh, honor and goodness. And like, that sounds competitive. I like a good little com- uh, competitive nature. So you know what? How about you try to outlove me and I try to outlove you? And you know what happens? Everybody wins. <laughs> so let's get competitive in showing love for one another. And then what will happen is if we are all showing love to one another and love to the outside world, if we're, if we're looking our brothers and our sisters in the face and saying, I'm going to outlove you, <laughs> it's just weird. Don't, don't say that, but know the context. We create a healthy family environment, don't we? A place of tenderness and work, warmth. And wouldn't you expect that in a healthy home? And when we're outdoing one another in love and showing honor to one another, we create that family-like environment. The other, uh, for the last few months, I've been working with my son, Landon. He gave me permission to share this. Sometimes he can struggle with his younger sister. Uh, don't tell her, but yeah, sometimes she's a little annoying. Uh, and so he struggles with that. And so sometimes he's, he's, he'll, his words will knock her down, knock her down, knock her down. And sometimes his actions will knock her down, knock her down, knock her down. And so we were, I was saying to him, buddy, like every time you're coming at her, it's magnified because you're not investing good into her. And so her love tank is always at a deficit if you're not pouring into it. And so occasionally you're gonna screw up, but you gotta wildly love on her so you can make a deposit from time to time, and then it's not so magnified. So we were trying to understand that concept, and over Christmas break, he nailed it. No one had to talk to him. He woke up one morning and said to himself, I'm just gonna be all about Reagan today. They went and sang karaoke all day long. It sounded like a train wreck, but it was glorious. He, he, he went about her interests. They had fun. They laughed. There was giggles all day long. And here's where it got good. At the end of the night, we prayed. We did our devotions. We did some stuff like that. At the end, when she, right before she went upstairs, she ran over to Landon. Only Landon, not her dad. Only Landon and gave him a hug and said, I love you. And we all saw it and we were like. And then at night, we went up, I went up to kind of kiss them goodnight and everything. And Reagan was in her bed rocking and crying. And I was like, what's going on? She's like, I just, I just hate the thought of Landon being bullied. And I'm like, a dad, I'm like, what? And I like stormed out of the room, went to Landon. I was like, who's bullying you? And, and he's like, I'm not getting bullied. And so I was like, huh? Okay. And then I went back into the other room. And I was like, well, he's not getting bullied. She's like, yeah, I just hate the thought of him getting bullied. And she was broken by just the thought because Landon was pouring into her love tank and she was filled with love. So how, when we come in here and we love one another, are we loving each other and pouring into each other's love tanks? Or are we only coming in here and withdrawing because we're not outdoing one another with brotherly love and affection? There's a whole lot of taking and little giving. Like that can't be the people of God. So go out there, have some of our Brazilian coffee, look at your brothers and sisters in the face and say, I'm gonna outlove you. And then let that be weird, but don't say it outside of here because the context will make that super weird. The next thing that you and I can think about is genuine effort. Paul goes on to say, don't be slothful in, uh, in, uh, don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. What Paul is talking about here is what Joshua is referring to is that when you and I are 
filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like a, it's like a pot of water being put on fire and then boiling over. It, it's getting heated up and then it actually starts pouring over the lid. When you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we are in, on fire of sorts, we pour out onto other people. We have that level of energy that you and I, when we love Jesus, we can't be a sloth. And this is said to every household, not just the poor households, not just the rich households. It's said to every one. And so when I look at us in our privileged American society, sometimes our comfort can become an idol to our lack of to, to effort in, in the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I had a friend that, that donated a whole lot of money to our church this past year. And he's somebody that's worth literal millions of dollars. And he gives away every single year 50% of his income. And, I, and I'm like, man, like you could just retire. You could be the proverbial, I live in the Caribbean and just kind of like float away. You could literally do that. Why don't you? And I asked him that question, and, he, and, and, I, and I said, like, you're, not only are you giving money, but you're also investing in the leaders. Why? Here's what he texted me back. He says, I see the local church as the epicenter of transformation in, in a community. I can't think of one human need or problem that the local church cannot solve. So the investment and development of church leaders is critical to the community, uh, to community thriving. We serve an abundant God. Ava and I focus on being financially responsible. It's not focused on being financially responsible so we can take a temporary vacation or a permanent vacation. When retirement comes, the Christian doesn't hang it up. You and I have never earned the right to stop serving Jesus. So be a man and women in love with Jesus, in love with serving his body and building his kingdom. The, second, the next thing he says is genuine perseverance. He talks about rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be consistent in prayer. This one wrecked me. You know why? Because I want to be a fixer. When there is a problem, I want the problem to go away. To be patient in pain? What? To have the hope of a better tomorrow. To have the hope of a better eternity. To have the hope that this is the worst it will ever be for the Christian. But for the non-Christian, this is the best it will ever be. And so I can be patient in suffering. I don't rush to fix it. I don't rush to get it to go away. I rush to what? Prayer that goes against my nature. Now, an example of this, I think, is as we turned the year, some of us want to get physically healthy. So some of us have turned to intermittent fasting. Have you heard of people that do that? They choose for a temporary amount of time to go through a level of hardship. It's temporary because it ends with eating and filling one's tum-tum. Now, when we are hungry, have you heard the term hangry? Now, I have already picked on Ava, so I won't pick on her hangriness. I'll pick on the birthday boy. Uh, my dog turned five uh, today. Uh, he is hangry twice a day. At 8.30, he's and he wants to be fed. At 4.30, he's and he wants to be fed. He gets all sorts of hangry, and the way to solve it is feed his tum-tum, get the hunger to go away, and then I am good. You and I cannot be hangry Christians in the midst of suffering and hardship. You and I, in the midst of feeling what is missing in our lives, need to go to a place of prayer and trust for the Lord Jesus. 
The next thing that Paul talks about is genuine hub, uh, help. Contribute to the needs of the saints and, to, and seek to show, seek to show, go after, put effort into showing hospitality. So how are you and I to pursue generosity? Do good to the saints. Pursue hospitality. That doesn't mean to, to show goodness and, and, and affection and, and, and this like well nature, like, hey, you're in my home, only to the people that I like. But it's assumed that it's all people. That if you're gonna be generous and if generosity should define the Christian, you know what word should never define the Christian? Stingy. Because the Christian gives even when it hurts. The Christian gives even when I'm lacking and I can help somebody else. The Christian seeks to love strangers. This Christian seeks to love those that are different than me. The Christian takes initiative. Why? Because that is what love is and that's how Jesus pursued us. I saw an example of this playing out when I was in Brazil this last time. And I've shared with you guys this previously. You've seen this picture. I, I preached at a church and they're like, hey, let's go have lunch. And I thought I was going to a restaurant and they didn't. They took me to a house that was like half the size of this room. And they brought like all of these people to that house. And I was like, I don't speak English. This is, or I don't speak, well, I don't speak English either, but I don't speak Brazil. <laughs> and I, I was like, this is awkward. And so there we were and we were talking and they were all laughing and they gave me food upon food, upon food, upon food, and it was glorious. <laughs> and so I was like, I need to go home and I need to stop making excuses not to be with people. And so we did that gift card thing where we gave out a whole bunch of gift cards to people in our community. It was a whole great Sunday, it was a whole great day, and I was like, you know what, I texted Ava in the middle of it, I was like, hey, can we have some people over our house? And it wasn't like, oh, the house is too messy. <laughs> hey, we don't have any food, or hey, this or that. It was just like, hey, the house is messy, whatever. Let's just order some pizza and be together and celebrate Jesus. And so after church, a handful of us got together and we just prayed and we, and we hung out. And for many of the people that volunteered that weekend, that became the highlight of their weekend simply because it was an open door with a whole bunch of pizza and we all got into pizza coma and it was great. And so if you want to be a hospitable person, let me suggest to you two books. One I've mentioned before, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's on the weekly rundown. You can see links there. Another one that I read this past year is Unreasonable Hospitality. It's not written by a Christian from the best of I can understand, but it is principles that you and I can live out. The next thing that I think uh, Paul is talking about here is, is genuine consistency. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. That, that means I'm happy with those that are happy and joyous. That means that if those people are crying, that I'm, I might be willing to cry with them. Like, I don't, I don't do emotions. You want a great example of those that can laugh with people and those that can cry with people? Just look at Heather Wilson. She embodies this, that this is somebody that will be present in the hurting. This also means that, man, if you've done me dirty, here's, here's the respectable Christian thing to do. I'll avoid you. That's loving, right? Like, I'm not doing harm to you. I'll just never be around you. What Paul says in here in the power of the Spirit is I actually pursue people that have hurt me and try to move towards doing good to them, not just avoiding them. Avoiding them is not the, is not the lesser of two evils. God has called us to actually pursue people and love them even when they've done me wrong. And so I rejoice with people. I'm present in their pain and I can rejoice with people that have obtained something that I want. 
that, that you got the promotion that I didn't get? Oh, man. I'm going through a season of pain while you're going through a season of joy or you're going through a season of joy while I'm going through a season of pain that you and I can actually, in the power of Jesus Christ, rejoice with people that have maybe what I want. That we can be with people in the highs and the lows of life and we're there in both. Graham Wilson, my buddy, has proven that over the last few years to me. You want to look for an example of this? Look to Graham Wilson. Because when there was death in my family, it was Graham through text or through phone calls. I was like, whatever you need, I'm there. And then followed through and drove me where I needed to go. There when I was mourning. And when there's things in my professional life that were celebratory and awesome and great and wonderful, he's right there to be like, hey, can I take a picture here? Oh, hey, can I help you with a website here? Hey, can we help do this, this, and this? And he's there thinking about how I can pursue something that is good in my life. He's there in the highs in the lows. The concept here is that we feel what people feel despite how we feel about them. That I will feel for you and with you. And I'm not going to let my feelings about you get in the way of that. Because the Christian's love can never be seasonal. It's there in all facets of life. And so we celebrate or we mourn what you are feeling. I want to feel with you. Why? Because we are the people of God. And this life is the pits. But we get to do it together which is different than any other organization in the world. We are there in the highs and the lows. The last thing that Paul talks about, again, which one of these seven do you need to focus in on? Genuine harmony. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, uh, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. (laughs) That's a way to kill harmony. Feel like you're the know-it-all because you Googled something for two minutes, and now no one wants to hang out with you. It's hard to have a harmonious uh, community when you think your poo don't stink, when you are all sorts of prideful, and when people know that you think you're prideful, and when you also, you know what will kill community? You refuse to hang out with certain people. I have my pockets of people, but not I have my pockets that I won't hang out with. And you know what? Because you have such pride, there are pockets of people that don't want to hang out with you either. <laughs> A wise person doesn't need to walk into the room and tell people they're wise. People just know it. And so as Christians, if we want to live in harmony with one another, let's be together. We look different. We vote different. We speak different languages. But one day, people from every tongue and tribe will worship Jesus, so why can't we do that here on earth? Sam Pinkava said something that rocked me uh, a few months ago when we were talking through a book called Not In It to Win It and how Christians handle uh, politics. And he said something when we were, a group of us were, were talking about it. He said, you know what, Jason? Like, we need Christian Democrats and we need Christian Republicans. Don't we want more Christians in the Democratic Party? Don't we want more Christians in the Republican Party? Don't we want more people that believe in Jesus on either side of the aisle coming together and saying, I'm going to put my political agenda aside and I'm going to work towards the agenda of God Almighty. So shouldn't we be praying for Christians in all political parties to worship Jesus? And that really, really rocked me because I was like, yeah, that would bring such a level of harmony to our politics, wouldn't it? If we infiltrated all areas of politics, all, even the ones you don't like so much, with the gospel. 
That is a win for society. And so how can you and I be harmonious with one another? Is we put our differences aside and we focus in on the gospel message. Because deep down inside, that is what unites us, all of us, is that's what, that is what's united. So where, where have we been? Here's what have we said. Genuine love proves genuine faith. What does it look like? Here are those seven areas. Okay, cool. Great, we understand this. Basic concept of love. Is anything on here earth shattering? No, you're not gonna leave here. You're gonna be like, whoa, some dude told me I need to be loving and good. Oh, okay. Okay. But what two do you need to work on? What two do you need to embrace? What two in your life lacks a little love? Here are two areas that will kill love. Here are two ways that will, that will diminish our ability to pursue those things. Pride and fear. Pride poisons love. Why? Because when we are prideful, we think I'm above you. We think I'm better than you. Pride says, I won't stoop down uh, to be with you. That you or whatever the need is, is beneath me. Pride keeps us from reaching out. Why is fear deadly? Fear is deadly to love because fear won't love you because what if you reject me? What if you don't receive my love? What if you take it the wrong way? What if you actually do me harm when I'm trying to love on you? And so we become a people pleaser and then our love becomes cheap because we're so fearful of what people might think. And so in those two areas, let's show them back up on the screen. What are the two areas that you need to work on? Is fear keeping you from being that person? Is pride keeping you from being that person? This past Halloween, we had uh, somebody come to our church. And uh, the Halloween, uh, we do the big CKA, uh, community kindness action out in the community. It's a wild good time, but it's a stressful, stressful day. Mindy is all sorts of organized. It is a stressful day for all of us because we find out details last minute. And so Paul, somebody I knew from Bayside, he's, kind of, he's in and out of homelessness right now. He's living with, with his sister. He shows up at the church at like nine in the morning to help. And I was like, dude, like it's, it's too early. And I was like, yeah, no, we're about to have staff meeting. Paul, you're coming to staff meeting, but you gotta participate. I got one rule for staff meeting. You have to contribute. He was like, huh? Uh-huh. And so he sat there, he didn't say anything, but at the very end, we're stressing about all the details about, hey, where do we go? Uh, who's gonna be there? Paul's like, yo, this is where you stand. This is where you're gonna meet. And he was right. And when we didn't have anybody to be there, Paul was like, oh, hey, I'll go stand there. Just tell people to find me. I'll be up there where people are, are conjugating and, and whatnot. And it was like, all of a sudden, this, like, this air of peace that like, hey, Paul was gonna help us. And we had a whole bunch of undone bags and whatnot of candy and, and him and a friend spent the next like two hours filling bags with candy. Paul contributed and made that amazing thing possible. And so when you and I think about this sermon, you and I having genuine faith through genuine love, here's the value I want you to think about. Give of yourself. We are the men and women. We are the people of God, brothers and sisters, children of God Almighty. Who are we to look at the king and say, my love has a limit? And so we give of our time, we give of our talents, we give of our treasures, why? Because he's done that all for us. And so here's my challenge. We have that CK going on right now, the, the collection for the homeless. I wanna challenge you to participate with that. 
Yes, clean out your closets with, with your coats and whatnot, but here, I'm gonna ask you to go a step further. Buy the new stuff, buy the good stuff, so that when, men and women that just need some warm hands will understand the goodness of God through our generosity. Give them the good stuff. Not your holy underwear that you're trying to get rid of because that's weird. Give them the good stuff because we got the good stuff in Jesus Christ and it is our joy to give to others. So we're gonna close with a song called Available. Would you guys stand and let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this time. Father, I thank you, Father, that even in this last song that we can wrestle with being available for you. The one who left heaven, the one who left glory, the one who left perfection to come and be among the broken. Father, thank you for putting us back together, the people of faith that have, have placed our trust in you. And Father, I pray that as we leave this place, that we truly would be available for you, that we truly would be givers, generous, do-gooders in the holy name of Jesus. We love you in your name. Amen.